So welcome. If you're new with us today, welcome to Real Life. Thank you for being a part of this family. We are so glad that you are here with us today. If you've been around for a while, we're extra glad, again, that you get to spend these mornings with us. As you've heard already, uh, again, this month of September, we're going to kind of take these next couple of weeks and not only look back and to realize, uh, to be so grateful for the things that God has done through real life, but I want to take these next couple of weeks and I want to chart a course as well that hopefully will guide us in the next 15 years and get some understanding of hopefully what they will look like uh, as well. But as I was even kind of putting that to paper uh, and realizing the world in which we are living today, how many recognize that our world is changing fast, right? I remember when I was just kind of getting started in my career uh, and I would sit with my boss or sit with leaders and we would talk about, okay, we want you to define your three-year, five-year, and 10-year plan. That was a big thing to do back in the day, right? Boy, you'd be writing your to-do lists and you know projecting and all that kind of stuff. How many know there's no chance to do that today, right? I mean, what would 10 years look like from now? I have no idea, right, in one sense. Like those things are out. Out the window. And so what I thought is maybe we would look at the next 15 years by breaking it up in what's the next five years and then the five years and the five years after that. We'll get to 15 somehow, but to think to how our world has changed, how has it changed in just the last couple of years, right, of things that we would never think, things that are happening in church that we never thought would happen in church or how it would happen um, is, is the world in which we are living today. And that'll be a little bit of a springboard for us to really kind of uh, dive into what really will be the, the, the vision and the direction, what will be the, the course that we are going to chart that will be real life over these next couple of years I read a book earlier this year in in February and March, and the author used the adventure, kind of put your history kind of hats on for just a minute, but but he paralleled the story of Lewis and Clark, if you remember from our American history in the Louisiana Purchase, and he did that in a way to parallel the world in which the church world is living in today today. As well, and maybe a couple of months ago, I, I shared uh, some brief thoughts uh, along that topic, and and one of the reasons why that story or this book uh, has resonated with me so much um, is that many of you know that every year I do uh, the JOA bike ride down in Central Virginia, and the beginning, the first four or five miles of that ride, we go right past Meriwether Lewis's house, uh, uh, kind of his homestead, and all of the area that that he grew up. In. And so I've thought about it all these years to think, man, like I should look back into that story and it's a part of our American history. And, and so it, it, I was amazed when I, and someone gave me this book and realized that that was some help to the church and, and church life as he began to parallel that same story. And so um, this morning it's going to be a little bit of a, I'm going to dive into it with us and with some of our church leaders a little bit more as we think about now starting this next 15 years of this next five-year cycle for us. But Meriwether Lewis was born on August 18, 1774 in Locust Hill, on the Locust Hill Plantation in Albemarle County, Virginia, um, and what is now the, the present community of Ivy, and that's where we launch out every year from our JOA ride. 
It was in 1803 that President Thomas Jefferson, again, a a resident of Charlottesville, maybe some of you have been to Monticello and seen his estate up on top of the hill that overlooks Charlottesville, but he commissioned Lewis to make his way to what we know today as the present-day Washington and Oregon states to see if this pathway to the Pacific would yield uh, great things for this fledgling nation, the United States of America. And here's what's kind of, I think, interesting in this entire story is that to this point in history, no American had ever been to the Pacific Northwest. And this would be the grandest of all journeys. It would be almost like our current world trying to get to the moon or trying to get to Mars, right, that, that some of our, our, our great efforts are trying to achieve. It would be probably in comparison to that a couple of hundred years ago that this wilderness, this wild land that no one had ever been to before, and what would it yield? And I think with all epic journeys, all epic adventures, we know that there are going to be highs and lows. There are going to be surprises and challenges and victories and probably some defeats. And so it was with this incredible adventure that Meriwether Lewis uh, was commissioned and tasked with. And I want you to hear me today. So it is with the life of the church in which we are living in today. Our world has changed. Can you say amen? It's different today than it was five years ago. It's far different than it was 15 years ago when we planted real life right here. And there's three quick things that I want to share with you this morning. And I want it to parallel not only this story and, and church life, but, but, but what real life is all about as well. And so I know for Debbie and I, and probably for a few of you here today, that first of all, this has been an incredible adventure. I, I never ever considered ever being a church planter. Uh, I had traveled a lot overseas and thought, you know, maybe that adventure would take me around the world. And little did I know that God would cause that adventure to bring me back to Erie, Pennsylvania after being gone for a long, long time and understanding what an adventure it would be to plant a church. And so this month, and especially next week, we're going to celebrate this 15-year adventure that it is real life. And next week, we're going to tell some stories. We have a slideshow that's going to look back over all of these years and kind of show us uh, probably with a little more hair, maybe a little less around the belly or whatever that's like, right, that sometimes 15 years brings. And as Bailey said, we're going to have a little party after church, and then we're going to have a big party next uh, week in the afternoon, and we want you to come back and help us to celebrate uh, what these 15 years have meant. But you see, the trouble at times is even now we're thinking about these 15 years, and the trouble with getting older is, is that what seemed to be just like five years ago How many know sometimes turns out to be 10 or 12 years ago, right? We're looking through some of those pictures or slides or we're talking about stories and memories thinking, wow, that was just like four or five years ago. And then somebody looks at me like, pastor, that was 13 years ago that happened, right? Like what? How does that happen? How does time seem to move so fast? And thinking about all these adventures that we had walked through, it doesn't seem that they were that long ago, but it's so amazing that we're still here 15 years later. Can you say yes, right? That God has been faithful. 
You know, they told me at the very beginning when they were talking about church planting that, that, that a church plant survivability is just a little over three years on the national average. In other words, that, that there are a lot of church plants, but within a three to five year time frame, about 90% of those church plants break up or break apart or close up. And so I'm so proud of you and our life together is that we beat the statistic five times over, right? That we get to be here now these years. And so there is a lot to celebrate. Most of you know that our adventure, it started off pretty rocky. Just as we were putting uh, this whole thing into motion, uh, they discovered cancer in Debbie's kidney. And uh, we had just started this whole process of buying this building, uh, which really is a miracle all in itself. We'll probably maybe save some of that story for next week. There were only eight of us at the time that we walked through this building for the very first time and put an offer, and there was already an offer on the table and all of that. I was still pastoring a church down in central Pennsylvania. This thing moved like lightning fast. In fact, there are some of you here today that were here at at real life before I was here at real life, and I'm the founding pastor, right? How crazy is that? The reason was is because we had a building. We didn't have a church officially yet, but we had a building, and we had a few people, so we just started having church, and there are only a few of you that are here longer than I am, which sounds really weird, right? But through that process and, and the situation with Debbie became a very serious and possibly grave at the moment that the head of our church planning uh, at our district office asked me the question. He said, Jim, what are we going to do if Debbie's story turns tragic? We had just invested a lot of money. We were gaining momentum. The, the story of real life was just starting to be written. And I remember looking at Tom and I said, then I'm going to have to pastor real life as a single dad. Still had two kids at that time that were in the house and, and what I wanted Tom to know and, and what really you need to know today is that anchor of what real life has become today is because we were totally committed to what God had put in our hearts and to know that, that if we were going to be faithful as we sang about today, that we knew that God would be faithful to us as well. And I also made the commitment that if Debbie's story did turn tragic, that I would never remarry. All right? <laughs> But fortunately and thankfully for all of us, Debbie is still with me. He, she is still with us. Amen. Right? And it's been amazing. Our kids have played vital roles throughout these 15 years that we have been here. And there is no uh, better place, other place that we would want to be than to be with you. Um, to, to see this family grow and develop and change and, and, and welcome those that, that continue to call this place home is great. And that will continue to be. Um, as long as I can get Debbie to Florida at least once or twice during the winter, um, everything is still good here in Erie, right? So we're going to share a little bit more of maybe some of those particular stories over the next couple of weeks as we just kind of envelop and take some time to not only think about the past, but also want to help to prepare us for what does the future look like for the church? And, and maybe most specifically, what, what does it look like 
for you and, and for me in this journey. So not only was there in this journey for us, and, and to parallel that, that story of, of Lewis and Clark, not only was there an incredible adventure that we're able to look back on and to see, again, the highs and the lows and the good times and the struggles and the challenges that, that cause it to be an epic adventure. I think uh, I just asked Debbie yesterday you know, to pray, and, and, and again, I think just the words of, of her intro and, and the prayer was to recognize that, that we don't shun away from the difficulties or the challenges. It gives us the opportunity just to realize we've got to hold on to Jesus even more in those moments, right? And, and we, can, we can let it crush us or we can be challenged to overcome those moments. And so we realize that a part of every incredible adventure is the second thing that I want to share with you this morning, that there comes a moment of incredible realization, in every adventure, we recognize that there are some strategic moments that define us. Uh, it's true in our personal life. It's true in our church life. It's true in our spiritual life as well. And thinking about this story that happened a couple of hundred years ago, it didn't take long for Lewis and Clark to realize that no American that had ever been to the Pacific Northwest in that moment. Again, it, it, I guess if we could say it's, again, like thinking about you and I going to the moon. Like, it, it just seemed like that, that, that's incredible. Like, that, it, that's impossible. Like, like who has, how do we even have the, the opportunity or, or the strategy or the, the, the implementation to, to ever do something so grand? As far as, as anyone had ever been who was an American had stopped at St. Louis, what is today, St. Louis, Missouri. We still call that the gateway to the West. That was the stopping point, the last of the frontier, and everything beyond that was wild and untamed, and, and we were in fear and challenged about what was out there, and, and could we ever find a, a pathway to the rest of the world as we knew it? And the conventional wisdom of that day is that the rest of the country, that from St. Louis westward... Well, they thought that it looked just like the eastern part of the country that we live in and was so familiar to us. And so when Lewis and Clark started on this epic adventure, they took canoes and rafts because that's how we navigated the, the, the rivers of, of the eastern part of, of these United States. And for the most part, it seemed like that was a, a really good plan. And so in that summer of 1803 and 1804 and 1805, they put all their supplies on these couple of large rafts and a, a bunch of canoes, and they began to make their way. Their plan was to canoe up the Mississippi River, across the Missouri to the Columbia River, and then get out at the shoreline of what we would know today as, as Western Oregon or Washington State. But along their journey, they came to a place called the Lemhi Pass, it's in Idaho today, and they saw something they had never seen before. It was the Rocky Mountains. Some of you have traveled out west, and it's crazy that as you drive across Kansas, which is relatively flat, you can see off in a distance these massive mountains. And Meriwether Lewis had to kind of call out this question, how in the world are we going to canoe up a mountain, a mountain that is unlike any mountain that is here on the eastern side of our country, where mountains here are 2,000 or 3,000 feet, but 
out west, how many know? They're 12,000 and 14,000 and 16,000 feet high. How do you canoe up a mountain? Well, what they came to realize is you can't. You don't. In fact, Sergeant John Ordway, he was part of the Corps of Discovery. I'll tell a little bit more of their story in just a moment. He declared this. The mountains continue as far as our eyes could extend. They extend much further than we expected. They were the most terrible mountains we had ever beheld. You see, I, I want you to parallel some of the moments not only of your life, but, but of our church life as well. There probably have been moments where you had just been canoeing along, right? Just enjoying the ride, and little did you know around the next corner would be a mountain. A mountain that seems way bigger than you have the ability to ever get over. Something you wonder if this is where life was going to stop. If this is where your adventure was going to end. Only to realize how, how are we ever going to get over something that seems to be so big in our pathway. And Meriwether Lewis in that moment made a statement that rings I think even truer today. And really what I want to be the key of not only our series for this month, but some discussions that all of us are going to have over these next five years as we think about what's the next 15 years for real life. He said this, the world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. And I want that to settle into your spirit a little bit today, because I think that's the challenge for every church Today And that's going to be real life's challenge as well. I think that when we get to these big anniversaries, it's so wonderful to look back and to see the incredible things, right? The mountains that we have climbed, the rivers that we have navigated, the victories and the challenges and the ups and downs. But today, I think the church at large and certainly real life stands at the Lehigh Pass. And we have to recognize that the world that we are moving into is nothing. Everybody say nothing. Is nothing like the world behind us. You see, we can't strategize. We can't kind of work out plans and schemes in the way that we always have because our world has, rast, has drastically changed. The, the strategies, the, the ideas, the, the understanding about how we reach people that were 15 years ago are drastically different than they are today. According to Lewis's own journal, he believed that at some point that they were going to walk up a slight hill and then they were going to look down on a gentle slope that would probably take his men a half a day to cross with still their canoes on their back, and then swiftly float to the Pacific Ocean. And what they found out was that nothing could have been further from the truth. And they could not have been more disappointed. You see, when they got there, there were no gentle slopes. There were the Rocky Mountains. And so today, and, and over these last couple of months, I've been praying and asking God for what will be the, the direction for real life, again, for the next five years or ultimately for the next 15 years. And so today I want to start to prepare you. I want to start to prepare us. And we've got to understand that the world in front of us 
is nothing like the world behind us. Can I say that one more time? The world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. Today when Sundays are more about soccer and Starbucks than they are about the Sabbath. Yes? Today when Christian student groups are getting derecognized on our university campuses, no longer welcome. When the fastest growing religious affiliation among our young adults worldwide is none, N-O-N-E. They don't believe, they don't understand, they don't want to believe any longer. When there is no moral consensus in America that has been built on Christian principles. Today it's a free-for-all. Today it's whatever you want it to be. Today it's, we don't believe that anymore. The foundation and the principles of which our country was based on, and I think that's kind of the interesting parallel that we go back to some of these founding fathers and realizing that they weren't all right in everything, but we have overwhelming evidence that they built this country on the foundation of Christian principle and God's word, and that is undeniable today. And yet we look at not only where is America today and maybe the forecast of the next five or 15 years to realize that we are no longer living in that kind of world. When the incorrect use of a person's personal pronoun is now considered hate speech, we are living in a different world. We are in a different time. And what will be in front of us is going to be nothing like the world that we have just come from. And Christendom, as a marker for our society, has clearly passed. And if you don't think the role of the church needs to be even more emphatic, listen, we were given advantages over the last 50 years, the last 15 years, that we will no longer be afforded. And we as a church, collectively, and we as this church, are going to have to rise to the occasion. If you are looking just to float your boat to eternity, can I tell you there are rocky mountains ahead for the church. And we as a people better be prepared. I'm not telling you that we need to be scared because there is still a God that sits on the throne, amen? But I am telling you that we had better be prepared. So the question is, what do we do? What I've been praying and what I've been contemplating over these last couple of months and preparing for September of 2023, this 15-year anniversary. And this is the question that I want to walk through a little bit with you in this series and much more with our church leaders and our staff and our department leaders and ultimately with all of us over these next couple of months. But I want to give you this beginning direction. You see, we can't do what we've just always been doing. We can't just try harder, pray more, sing different songs because we are entering into a geography that, like Lewis and Clark, is going to be a brand new territory. The fact if we can say, well, pastor, if we just do what we've been doing, but we just do it more, 
We just do it harder. We just do it with more passion. Listen, I get what you're saying, but I'm just telling you, you're not looking out in the world that's out there. And not that what you think is bad or necessarily wrong, but my feeling is is that it will not be as effective as you think it will be. Because the landscape, unfortunately, of the world and, and maybe even more of America has drastically changed. And so that's why I do believe we need to spend time in prayer and we need to seek God for vision and direction. And the chart of this new course over these next five or these next 15 years can't be something that we just kind of pull out of our bag of tricks, but that we really need to wholly submit ourselves to the throne of God and to say, we are your people and we desire to still make an impact in this ever-changing world. And we're glad that although the world is changing, we have a God that does not change. Amen? Who still has plan and purpose for his church, who has plan and purpose for you and I, that there is still great things to accomplish. And no matter how big the mountain is in front of us, that God, by the power of his spirit, is going to give his church the power to get over it, to get through it, to get under it, to get around it, whatever it's going to take, that God is going to give his church the power from on high to make an impact in this world until one day we believe that Jesus is coming back and the world will recognize the power of a living God in our world today. And so there are going to be some things that are going to be a new adventure, epic adventure for you and I. And and what we've done in the past probably is not going to work in the future, but God is still ahead of us. How many know that we not only have a God who was with us then, a God who is with us now, but there is a God who is with us in our days ahead as well. Amen? And that we can trust in what he has for us. You see, the challenge in seeing this world so differently, I mentioned this statistic to you before, but again, it it came home to me even. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. And I know that there can be a lot of reasons for that, but just this past week, a, a ministry friend of mine sent me an article, and I want to share a little bit of one of these pastors that that, that, that went public with some of the challenges that, that he recognized that his church and the church was facing to realize that we are going into a different place. The world in front of us is so different than the world that is behind us. And he titled this article, This Past Sunday, I Preached My Last Sermon as the Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. How many think that's a catchy title, right? He said, I have become known, I have become a part of what is known as the great pastor resignation. And it has come in the wake of this pandemic. George Barna and the Pew Research, some of you have probably been aware that there have been, uh, George Barna has been from a Christian-based kind of polling over the last 25 years or so, did a national survey of pastors and of March 2022, 42% of all pastors have considered quitting. And the top five reasons that he quoted in this article was the immense stress of the job, the feeling of loneliness and isolation, the current political division that has not only divided our country but divides our churches as well, 
said, I am unhappy with the effect that this role has had on my family and that I'm not optimistic about the future of my church. Can you imagine that a third of our churches are being led by a leadership, a pastor or a leadership team that have no optimism about the future of their church? Man, what a scary thought. The Bible tells us that without a vision, what? People perish. And to recognize that we have leadership, we have pastors, a third of them across all of our country that see no future for the church, that see no hope in the future. Why? Because some of them are recognizing that the world behind them is nothing like these rocky mountains that seem that they are not able to be conquered that we've come all of this way only to realize that this is the end of our journey. This particular author talked about some specific things that he struggled with. He talked about the weight of all of the lives that that he dealt with as being the pastor of the church, That, that our heart is not just to do this professionally, but but that it be personal. You talk about real life, about a family, I, I tell couples all the time, especially around the point of them coming to say, hey, we want to get married. Would you do the honor of, of doing you know, our ceremony? And I tell them all the time, I'm not interested in being the preacher at your wedding. I'm, I'm much more interested about being the pastor over your life. That, that we have a connection. I'm, I don't want to be here just in some ceremony sense that you come in and then you leave and, and I never see you again. That, that the role is, is that I want to hopefully play a significant part in your life. But with that comes the weight of dealing with not only the issues that, that Debbie and I have to deal with in our own life and our own family, but to think that a couple of hundred times over of all of the things that you go through and all of the, the calls and the needs and the things. And, and this pastor recognized the weight of, of today of, of all of that. He said, I feel like I have a thousand bosses that recognizing that sometimes pastors have this sense that we're just here to please people or there's this sense that I gotta keep everybody happy. I'm glad I dealt with that years ago and have told you over and over again, right? If you're just looking for me to entertain you or, or, or make you happy, right? You're in the wrong church and you picked the wrong pastor, right? But a lot of guys feel that way, that we're this kind of, oh, they're gonna leave the church, or if they, if they, if they don't do this, if we don't get this, if, if they don't hear this, if they, and, and it's just kind of like we're spinning plates in a sense of just trying to keep people happy. He went on to say, in my previous congregation, a member who was a former state senator for Pennsylvania legislator, he refused to volunteer for our boards because he felt that church boards were too cutthroat. <laughs> Ouch! Right? He talked about unrealistic expectations. He said, I need to be a professional speaker. I have to act as a CEO. I need to be the, a professional fundraiser. I have to be a counselor, an HR director, the master of ceremonies at all the church functions. I have to be a theologian. And at some point as this church world has changed, the partnership oftentimes that once was that that is really struggling to be, starts to wear pretty heavy. And finally, he said, you are expected to be a pillar of virtue, meaning that you must be blameless and morally pure, that your spouse and your children should be all but perfect, if not close to it. 
Most importantly, you must be unconditionally loving, meaning you have to love everyone in your congregation and show them grace and forgiveness no matter how poorly they may treat you. And all of this, people still pick and choose if they'll come to church any particular Sunday, and they rarely serve or rarely give. You see, the world in front of us is way different than the world behind us. I read an article this morning on my Fox News app. Some of you might know if I mention the name Max Lucado. Been a dynamic pastor and, and probably even more author. In fact, for a lot of my early years in ministry, he would have been my favorite author. Uh, he just had a way of, of, of telling the story of the gospel in, in such a, a readable way and, and, and just kind of touched me and I know thousands of others. At one time, Christianity Today called him America's pastor. Uh, just, just the influence that he had. And he began to unpack over the last five years of the pressure of Sunday services and, and book deadlines and publishers and all of the things that go along with ministry today. And I'll be honest with you, I was shocked in the sense as I continued to read the article. And he said, in so many of the things that I tried to help people and stand guard against, I found myself slipping into. Until I found myself on the far side of town, he pastors in San Antonio, Texas. He said, in the back parking lot of a convenience store, of which I went in and bought alcohol and put it into a brown paper bag and put it under my coat in fear that anybody would see me, and went to my car and I began to consume alcohol, thinking at some point that it would take the edge off of all of the stress that I'm dealing with about how to be prepared for sermons on Sunday and book deadlines and the needs and the struggles of staff and staff meetings and all of that. And, and my heart was just broken in the moment. To think that, you know, in a sense, I don't know that I could say he was one of my heroes, but, but certainly was running a, a ministry and a life that was, was wonderful. And now being so willingly open to talk about struggles that sometimes we think that church leaders don't struggle with and to be so open and honest about it today and and he was justifying every time he said every time I went I could tell God it was because of this it was because of that it was because of this he said until one moment God and the Holy Spirit just lit him up in the car and he said so if you're so bold and 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 so uh, declarative about this and, and justifying this action then why are you in a darkened car in a back parking lot of a convenience store on the other side of town doing this activity doesn't seem to be very proud or promotive of who you Life is tough. Ministry is hard. The work of the church, again, we can't just paint smiles on ourselves and just declare that everything is okay. The author of this article went on to say what really got him was determining that his church had a fixed mindset over a growth mindset. Back in the day, we used to talk about that sometimes one of the mantras of the church is that whenever there would be a new way or whether the pastor or the leadership or the staff wanted to reach out to the community uh, and, and do something different, that there was always a tagline within the churches that we've never done it like that before. 
like, hey, pastor, let's not get too excited. Let's, let's kind of rein it in. Let's kind of stay inside the fence. Let's not get too crazy. He said a growth mindset is when a person is willing to take chances, enjoy learning, doing new things, not afraid to fail, get out and trust that God is leading in some new ways and some new directions. Conversely, people with a fixed mindset don't like to be challenged, don't like to rock the boats. They perceive failure as a limit of their own abilities, and they tend to be scared of doing things differently, and particularly if it disrupts their current church view or worldview. I guess what this pastor was saying is, is that, that his church had come to a point where status quo was their mantra. That, that let's just kind of go through the motions. Let's just, let's just get together and sing a few songs and pastor you do what we pay you to do and, and, and then let's just, you know, make sure you're not touching on some of the hot button topics like leave sin alone, don't be talking about hell so much. And then let's just leave happy and, and let's just be ready to do it all again next week. He said, what I've learned over the last 10 years is that the majority of people who attend churches are in a fixed mindset category. That we're just more comfortable. And when I see a world that is changing, and maybe that's why so many pastors are leaving today. That's why, why most churches are in decline. Because we've just kind of given up. We've, we've seen that there is a rocky mountain ahead of us and we have to face you have to find some new ways. You have to find some new strategies because the world behind us is nothing like the world in front of us. And I'd like to paint you this wonderful picture about what the next five years or the next 15 years can be at real life, but there's a third component that I think that I wanna start off this series that, that help you and I understand. Like if there's a way to get over the Rocky Mountains that, that this has to be. And so what was it that Meriwether Lewis did to get to the Pacific Northwest? You see, up until this moment, it was like he brought a knife to a gunfight, right? We got canoes, like how are we gonna get over a 16,000 foot mountain? Seems like this is the end of our journey. What he relied on was incredible partnerships. You see, to get an incredible adventure, there are going to be moments, and whether in your personal life or whether in the life of our church, there is going to be some incredible realizations. Like, what's happening to me? Where am I? We've, we've talked over the years, sometimes, you know, starting out January or whatever, we've kind of asked, like, where is your spiritual life? Where is it compared to last year or five years? And and sometimes those are quiet services because slowly the drift, right? We talked about that at different times. The drift is kind of so slow. We just, we just kind of give up on some little things thinking it's no big deal only to realize maybe a year ago or five years ago, man, the flames that were lit inside of me seem to burn with so much more passion than they do right now. We've all had those realizations that that some moments that we've had, some experiences, some marriages, some challenges with kids, some work losses, some sicknesses that became a rocky mountain for you. And at one time you had powerful faith that, 
that, that one time, five years ago, 15 years ago, you would rush to an altar in the midst of a service, it didn't matter, that, that you would care for somebody, that you would stay all afternoon if somebody was in need, but slowly along these last five years or these 15 years, the drift of this world has changed. And today, can I just be so bold to say that that passion or at least that profession of who and you and I used to be may not be there today. We've given some things up. Let's just be honest. Why? Because it's tough. I get it. Why 1,500 pastors are leaving ministry every year? Because it's tough. But we come to a moment, and I'm here to tell you that Pastor Jim and Debbie aren't giving up. We're not... We're not slowing down. We might have canoed to a rocky mountain, but can I tell you that through incredible partnerships, we're going to get over the rocky mountain, whatever they are, whenever they show up in your life, in my life, in our life, we're going to find a way. William Clark initially met with President Thomas Jefferson, and he said, I don't want you to take William Clark with you now the famous duo of Lewis and Clark. He said, I need somebody that I can put my trust in. I need somebody to help me on this epic journey. And I found the guy, it's William Clark, and President Thomas Jefferson said, no. I don't want him. I want you to do it, and I want you to do it alone. And Larry Weather Lewis recognized there's no way to an accomplish an epic adventure without strategic partners. And so, for all in fact and purpose, Lewis lied to the President of the United States. How many think that's pretty bold right out of the gate, right? And so he secretively hired William Clark, gave him up his rank to the rank of captain, and he gave him that title the entire journey and gave him the pay to match because he knew he couldn't do it alone. He needed incredible partners. And although I may kind of sit in the big chair at real life, I want you to know that Debbie and I can't do it alone. That so many of you have been strategic partners and continue to be strategic partners. He also organized what history calls the core of discovery. Those were the 33 men that went with Lewis and Clark. We don't hear many of their names. It seems like Lewis and Clark got all the praise in the history books, but they didn't do it alone. Can somebody say yes? They didn't do it alone. This core of discovery, Lewis wanted to find the best possible men he could and recruit them to join his expedition. I guess if we could bring it into modern day terms, he was looking for SEAL Team 6, right? I mean, he, were, he was looking for guys that no matter how bad it got, there was just no quit in them. That when they saw the Lehigh Pass, I'll, I'll give you maybe a little extra to the story, they carried all of their stuff up over the Rocky Mountains. That's how they got over. So they walked for a couple of weeks with as much as they would carry on their backs up over the Rocky Mountains, 
And then they came back over and they got another pile of stuff that they piled on their backs and they walked that over and for almost three months, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That's how they did it. There was never any quit in them. You know, Debbie prayed that just a couple of minutes ago. There are moments in our life, right? We have that fixed mindset. Life is tough. The pastor didn't talk to me. This, that, whatever, right? We hit these mountains and we wonder, I just can't go on. And for three months, they went back and forth. And Why? Because this epic adventure, nothing was going to stop them from seeing the end of the goal. And so this core of discovery, men who were expected to be excellent hunters, to possess skills that would ensure their survivability in the wilderness. He wanted men who were brave, unmarried, and healthy. And every one of them made it, except for one man who died of an appendix attack. But every one of the Corps of Discovery made it. They were an incredible team that completed an incredible adventure. But there was another Incredible partnership that the history books tell us about, and some of you are aware of as well. Her name was Sacagawea. How many got that? You probably watched the National Treasure movie or whatever. Night in the Museum, right? That's how you remember that. And although Lewis and Clark started off with 33 men... Can I tell you that there was one woman who became extremely, extremely valuable to the adventure. And not only did God give me one of those in my life and help me to help pastor and to partner with me to go through this epic adventure, far more and far better than I'm sure that I deserve, but God's also given real life some incredible women as well to help bring a, a side to this church and, and care and interest and thought and blessing and, and the fine touches. I, I know that as you continue to walk through this place and it has changed and morphed and, and sometimes the men have done a lot of the lifting and the heavy work to, to make some of the transformation possible, but the beauty of it has come from the women, right, that, that have provided the touch and the care and the love and, and the work in so many ways. And so it was that on this epic adventure that Sacagawea became an indispensable addition to the, to the exposition. In fact, there's an incredible story that, that at one point that Meriwether Lewis wrote in his journal that, that as they would come, again, the, the, the country was still wild with Native Americans at the time. And, and there were many warring people. Um, and, and seeing the white man come in and, and all of this, there were at times great fear. And so they would offer gifts. Uh, that was kind of the trade. And offer gifts was at times a way to lessen the hostility between these tribes of, of this new world that, that they were walking into. But they had come because of this journey becoming so long and the loss of everything over the Rocky Mountains that they had very few gifts to offer. And one of the more incredible stories of that journey was is that they came apart a warring Native American 
population that many of them wrote in their journey that they had come all of these thousands of miles only to die on this valley floor. They were outnumbered. The, 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 the native party knew the landscape much better. And they realized that we have nothing to offer. We have, we have no goods to somehow barter or trade or to build some kind of relationship. Chief were 100% convinced that they were going to die in the moments. And when the chief prepared himself, came, came forward out of the warring party, it happened to be Sacagawea's brother who she hadn't seen in over 10 years. And they recognized each other. And for all intents and purposes, everybody walked away alive. I mean, who would have thought in the moment, right? We would call that a God moment, right? And to realize that through amazing, incredible strategic partnerships, that God will continue to make a way for all of us. I'm going to ask Adrian on the band. They're going to come and help me close today. Now, I know some of you, and maybe if you're visiting with us today for the first time, or if you haven't been for us a while, maybe if you have been, some of you get it, but you might be questioning and pondering a little bit, Pastor, do you just give history lessons at real life? I mean, are are we just learning American history? Is that what this series is all about? No. I want to give you a few keys as a launching point to recognize that we've got a lot of work to do for these next five years, and ultimately for these next 15 years. I want you to understand that it's not going to be the same. What got us here is not necessarily going to be the same of what's going to get us there. Are you with me? That we have to recognize that there's a lot to be thankful for on this epic adventure. There's so much to be grateful for that God has been able to do in our lives. But part of this Lewis and Clark story is more than anything that I want you to kind of take home today is, is that because Meriwether Lewis realized that he couldn't have done the Louisiana Purchase by himself. If there, and I want you to know that Debbie and I feel the very same way, that if there is still more of a story, an amazing story that God wants to write with real life, is that Debbie and I will be the first ones to admit that we can't do it alone. We haven't done it by ourselves and and we don't want to do it alone. But there has to be not only a, a commissioning on our behalf, there has to be a commissioning on your behalf because the world in the church has changed drastically. And I guess my challenge for you to pray about is that do you have a fixed mindset or do you have a growth mindset? Do you believe in what God started, what God birthed and believe that God still has more? Did you at one time have a part to play that you were red hot and say, Pastor Jim, man, whatever you need, I'm there. I don't care when it is, you can call on me. In fact, I'm going to be there. Don't You don't even have to call on me. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to... But today, maybe it's like, well, I got a lot going on, Pastor. I got kids. I got grandkids. I I have a condition. I have this. I have that. Listen, I'm not necessarily laying that on any of you. I'm just asking you to maybe consider or pray about. Have there been some drifts in you over the last five years or the last 15 years? Can I tell you, we can't just keep doing church as normal 
and think that we're going to climb the mountains that are in front of us. It's going to be another epic adventure. And there has to be some realization in us that, hey, Pastor Jim needs me. We can't let him do everything. We can't let just a few people, but like, where have I not been engaged? Am I serving, really, to my best ability? Am I giving? Am I supporting? Am I, am I recognizing that I'm needed in this place? And again, if you're not, maybe that's on me or maybe that's on you. But together, we're going to figure that out to realize that everyone has a role to play. Everyone is needed. You see, if real life is going to make another run of 15 years, there needs to be the assurance of incredible partnerships that will continue to be formed in our days ahead. Now, I'm going to do something to close today that's a little dangerous, but, but I just want you to know it's, it's, it's kind of by way of groupings, and I'm not necessarily just calling out individual people. And I know as soon as I mention names, that's where, again, it can be goofy. So I just want you to know it's not a purpose of calling out individual names, but because of some groupings, what, what I've had a moment to consider over these last 15 years. But, but there has been a past. I'll call them our OGs. These are some of the people, like I said, that have literally been at real life longer than I have. And I'm, I'm the founding pastor. Like, I'm first. And there are pre-first people here at real life. People like the Stearns and the Meads, the Millers, the Purcells. People that committed and said we're in and are still here today to recognize there's, there's a work that we believe that can make a difference here. Man, how grateful Debbie and I are for people like that that still commit. Not They, they certainly commit to Debbie and I, but they, they commit to real life, to what, to what God started and believe that 15 years later that we could beat the odds and still be here. There were leadership people like the Jenkies, the Carmens, the Chateaus, the Petrosevichs that would step up to say, hey, Pastor, we know you can't carry the load. And so, man, we'd love to serve with you. We'd love to serve this congregation and, and this, this people and do whatever we can and spend the extra time to, to make it easier on our staff. We had the Franos and the Heaths and stepped up to serve in some big ministry ways. The Manuelas and the Bushes and people that have just said, whatever you need, we're here. Some of our OG people that have been so amazing for Debbie and I. And then I look, just even in the last couple of months and the last couple of years, we've talked about Paul and Colleen and, and Matt and Colleen have been new in just a couple of months to say, man, we're, we're excited to be at Real Life. How can we help? How can we serve? And, and there's been a group of young adults like Alex and Pierce and Tyler and Danny and to recognize that, man, there's this growing force of young couples and young singles that, that are doing incredible things. They're serving in so many big ways. And we have what we joke about some older singles. And, you know, Jim Rice is back on our media team and we joke about the age difference which he lets me know I'm still a little bit older than him right but we know that there are some older and you're at different parts in life but yet you still as sometimes a struggle as a single feel like ah you know is this is this family still for me or like the singles fit and to know to know that yes yes that that we can still be dysfunctional in many ways right and still keep the fun in dysfunctional right I think about, you know, Heather was helping here on the worship team and Anthony has been my training partner for EPD and he's oftentimes quiet here in church, but 
most of the guys that come from EPD don't come because I became the chaplain. They come because Anthony just never stops inviting them. In fact, I was with him last Friday night at two in the morning. We did a dock patrol and the guy that was training with us was leaving and the last thing that Anthony said was, hey, church, tomorrow morning starts at 10 a.m. And guess what? Mark and his wife and his kids were at church with us last Sunday. And I think about Connie and Marilyn, some of our little older people that serve not only in the church, serve in real love, and Marilyn's probably in the nursery loving on babies, and they go to track, and they take care of these foster kids for two weeks out in the wilderness and love what they do, and they become a blessing to so many. So I just want to highlight some groups of people, not necessarily individuals, because you are all valuable to the kingdom. You're valuable to Debbie and I. And I want there to continue to be some incredible partnerships for these next five years, these next 15 years. But I want you to pray with me that there are some changes that have to happen in me, probably in you, if we are going to climb the mountains that are ahead of us. They're different than what they were 15 years ago. And we need you. You need this church. And can I tell you, Mill Creek and Erie needs real life. They need the church of Jesus Christ, not status quo real life, hello? Not decline real life. But they need a church that's excited about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do to change hearts and lives. A church that's not just willing to talk about it, but a church that's willing to go out and do something about it. Not comfortable in staying inside of the walls, but busting out and believing that there's still more that God can do through us. Are there some big mountains that are still yet for us to climb? Absolutely. Can some of this adventure seem scary? Absolutely. When Debbie and I first came, I didn't take a paycheck for the first six or eight months because there was nobody here in the early days. And Debbie and I said, how are we going to live? God's going to be a provider. Some of you know that before, while Debbie was sick and in the early days, like we didn't even have a house for the first two or three months. I lived with all kinds of people. Like if you had a spare room, Pastor Jim just might show up at your house. Like, right? And if you were a good cook, Pastor Jim was definitely going to show up at your house, right? That's how I became friends with so many of you, is you fed me so well in the early days. We just had a mindset that whatever it takes, that we're going to do it. And that's what I want to re-up to you today. We're all a little bit older, maybe a little bit more gray, a little bit less on top, a little bit more down below, right? But can I tell you, there's still a God that has purpose for you, for this church, for our community. Amen.